This program is a paid commercial announcement from Jacob Media Partners and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. This is Women to Watch. To rise above all of the noise and fulfill every last one of your dreams. Women to Watch, sharing the real stories of the most accomplished women in the world. It is for those frightened children who want peace. It is for those voiceless children who want change. Be inspired by women from across the globe who are encouraging more women to pursue their dreams. True philanthropy comes from living from the heart of yourself and giving what you have been given. Now, Women to Watch. Here's your host, Sue Rocco. Good evening, everyone, and thank you so much for being with me for another week of Women to Watch here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Uh, I hope everybody enjoyed their summer. I I hate to say that it's the end of the summer, but we're looking forward to uh, moving into the fall. Uh, I'm so excited to have uh, my guest with me this evening. Her name is Val Ackerman, and Val is the commissioner of the Big East Conference, and she's going to be joining me in just a moment. Uh, Be sure to stay with us as we go into our breaks, as always, to hear from our watch team members, bringing you insights and information in health, finance, technology, and business. And to stay in the loop on all things Women to Watch, be sure to visit us at womentowatch.net and subscribe to our newsletter. Uh, You can follow us on social media as well. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Women to Watch. Uh, The website is women, the number two, watch.net, N-E-T. And now I'd love to welcome to the show Val Ackerman, the commissioner of the Big East Conference. Val, welcome to the show. Hey, Sue. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to have you. Uh, I wanted to, are you calling from New York? Is that I where am. you're based? Uh, yes, yep. I'm in my offices, and we're in Midtown Manhattan. Okay, very good. And none of us are, are going to be affected by uh, the hurricane, which has been the talk all week. <laughs> it has been, yep. Yeah. Sorry to say. Um, listen, I want to give our listeners a, a true understanding of kind of your level of achievement. So I wanted to just, at the top of the show, give a quick um, list of, of some of your accomplishments. Um, in high school, you set the school's varsity basketball record for points scored by any player, male or female. You set the school's record in field hockey for scoring and graduated second in your class. In addition, you ran track and you were inducted into the New Jersey Interscholastic Athletic Association Hall of Fame in 1997. And then you graduated from UVA in 1981 and you were among the school's first female students to receive an athletic excuse me, athletic scholarship, um, where you started um, as a player all four years, captain for three years, and twice named Academic All-American for the women's basketball team, and you were the first basketball player to score 1,000 points. Now, that's, <laughs> that is just a little bit about the background, and I don't typically do that, um, but I really wanted to kind of set the tone for, um, you know, who you are and where you came from. And I guess my first question would be, are you somewhat of an overachiever? Um, probably, Sue. Yeah, that, that might be a, a word. I, I always, uh, I think as far back as I could remember, um, 
you know, wanted wanted to do well, wanted to be the best when it came to sports. That didn't always happen. I had uh, a lot of failures there, but, um, you know, my sports career, which spanned a lot of sports, did teach me lessons I, I you know, I, I carry to this day. Um, and was very um, fortunate in that uh, I, I kind of came of age in sports uh, after Title IX was passed in 1972. Um, I, I went to high school uh, a few years later, and the opportunities to play sports at that time were really just beginning to open up. So I did have those opportunities that you mentioned to play basketball and field hockey and run track. And then uh, was able to go to college on a basketball scholarship at a time when Title IX was really just, you know, taking hold mm, yeah. um, at the intercollegiate level. So uh, my timing was really good. Mm-hmm. Um, and to have that outlet um, in sports when you are competitive and, and you want to kind of be out there mixing it up, to have sports as a platform to do that um, couldn't be a better way to express yourself, so to speak. And my last thing I'll note, my dad um, was a high school athletics director at my high school. Oh, at um, your school. As, okay. as well, yeah. yeah, as well as sort of active in sports in the state of New Jersey. He was a referee. Um, he had been himself a student athlete at what was then called Trenton State College, now College of New Jersey. Um, so I had that sort of role model, if you will, to look up to and to inspire and to support well, uh, me in my athletics endeavors. Yeah, and um, your grandfather as well, I read, was also an athletic director. He was. He was at, um, he finished his career at the high school level, but uh, during a long stretch had himself been at um, what's now the College of New Jersey as the football coach, the basketball coach. He was involved in baseball there and then running athletics at a time when you could do all of those things. Now, of course, those are all separate jobs, even at the D3 level, which is what uh, College of New Jersey continues to play. But back then, you could sort of do a little bit of everything. So he and my, my dad were very much role models for me in terms of their interest in that line of work. And you grew up in Pennington, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you have siblings? I do. I do. I have a younger brother, George, um, who was a great athlete in high school at, at Hopewell Valley. That's where we went to high school in Pennington, New Jersey, mm-hmm. uh, not far from Philly, as you know, right. Mercer County. Um, he went on to play soccer at James Madison University, um, did very well there, and, and now continues to uh, reside in, actually, he's in um, Washington Crossing, PA, as a very successful entrepreneur in the real estate business. So we're very close, and again, both of us looked up uh, in an amazing way to my dad. Dad, who who really inspired us with his support of sports and all of our uh, all of our efforts there. Yeah. Now you were, I mean, you were um, an athlete and very successful, but academic as well. So I'm I'm curious if you know, growing up, both of those were equally um, instilled in you the importance of both, um, you know, having a drive in academics and athletics together. For sure. Um, you know, school, I, I was always, as far back as I can remember, interested in, in schoolwork and um, learning. Um, I just always thought school was so interesting, things you learn. Um, I had great teachers growing up, which, of course, helps enormously. Mm-hmm. Um, at, at my, you know, I was in a public school system in Pennington, but it was a, a really uh, well-run school district, and, and my teachers were wonderful. Still remember them um, and everything they taught and the way they did that. 
Um, so schoolwork is always important to me. And then certainly going to Virginia, it was a, a rigorous place to yes. be a, a student mm-hmm. athlete. I mean, they didn't cut slack really at all for for athletes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, that, that, that has always been kind of part of me, I think, the learning piece and then taking advantage of whatever educational opportunities I had. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think that athletics for young girls is a really good, um, good and great experience. Can you think of one benefit if you had to look back that you think you received as a young player? Um, the teamwork piece, it means something. It sounds cliche, but when you're on a team and you have a role uh, and you're put in a leader position on a team, which I was because I, um, I was captain um, on you know, more than one occasion with teams I played on, including in college, you do sort of feel a special responsibility. You're kind of answering to the coach in a different kind of way. Mm-hmm. You're expected to stay up when it's easy to be down because losses can hit hard, especially at that age. <laughs> yes, right. Feels like the end of the world. Yeah. Um, so, so that that piece, I'd say more than anything, the teamwork, fitting in, and and of course how you carry that forward in your work life is very very relevant. Yes, you know, being an overachiever is one thing. I think a perfectionist is another. So, would you cut yourself slack when you felt you didn't have a good a good game? It's hard to do. Uh, I mean, that um, I very much consider myself a perfectionist. I've had to let some things go over time because you don't have time um, to be perfect on everything, and you have to learn to delegate and so and so forth. Yeah. But I think that is one of the important lessons you learn from sports: is striving for goals and then rebounding when you don't hit them. Absolutely. Listen, we're going to go into our first break. When we come back, I have a question from uh, one of our listeners. Stay tuned for Dawn Zier of Nutrisystem for our CEO Watch. We'll be right back. Now, the women to watch. CEO Watch. Hi, everyone. I'm Dawn Zier here with today's CEO Watch. Today, I want to talk about the importance of having a strong sense of self-awareness. As leaders in today's world, it's important to have a wide range of skills to drive a successful organization. In my opinion, having a strong sense of self-awareness and an understanding of how others are perceiving you nears the top of this list. In previous weeks, I discussed EQ, also known as emotional intelligence, and there's no greater indicator of a high EQ than being self-aware. As a leader, your team and others in the company will watch and take their cues from you. What you say, how you say it, and your body language all matter. Along these same lines, self-aware leaders are able to read the room and study the verbal and nonverbal cues of those they're interacting with to see how their message is resonating. They also tend to have a flexible approach where they alter their style to bring out the best in others, and they know how to make amends. Leaders who have a strong sense of self-awareness can recognize not only their strengths, but more importantly, they're cognizant of their weaknesses. They know that an overplayed strength can turn limiting. According to a report by the Corn Ferry Institute, companies with a greater percentage of self-aware employees consistently outperform those with a lower percentage. What this tells us is that it is not only important for leaders to be self-aware, but for all colleagues within an organization to be. Wondering how you can improve your self-awareness? It's simple. Try things such as asking a colleague or your manager for feedback on more than just the work you do. Probe for the positives and the areas for improvement. Inquire if you could have done something differently in a meeting to drive a better outcome. 
And another way that's super effective to improve your self-awareness is to perform daily self-reflection, keeping a journal of positive and suboptimal interactions during the day and analyze what worked well and what didn't, and then look over time for common themes. Thanks, everyone. I'm Dawn Zier here for CEO Watch. Have a great week. Since 1858, Mount St. Joseph Academy has been educating girls to be leaders, founders, and independent thinkers. Students are taught to be collaborative, courageous, compassionate, confident, and spiritual. In this student-centered environment, the young women are transformed by recognizing their own potential and are encouraged to use it to make a difference in the world. To learn more about Mount St. Joseph Academy, go to www.msjacad.org or call 215-233-3177. That's msjacad.org or 215-233-3177. This is Women to Watch with Sue Rocco. Talk Radio 1210 WPHD. If you're just tuning in, I'm having a wonderful conversation with Val Ackerman, the commissioner of the Big East Conference. And I received a question, Val, from one of our listeners. And she happens to be in the fitness and nutrition um, industry. And kind of disenchanted with the lack of senior women in athletics. She wanted to know if you're involved in any way with kind of helping to level the playing field. It's a great question, Sue, uh, and, and, and one near and dear to my heart for sure. Um, the, the short answer is yes, I'm trying hard uh, in ways that make sense to try to bring attention to the issue of, um, of women in leadership in sports. Um, the good news is that more girls and women play sports, thanks to Title IX and just sort of cultural shifts in, in our country and elsewhere. But the number of women who are leading in sports organizations um, isn't matched up with the number who are playing. So there's de- definitely a need um, that I've seen. It's better uh, than when it, when I started in the sports business 30 years ago. There were very few women at that time working in leadership positions, including at the, the company that I started my sports career with, the National Basketball Association. But things have, you know, things have improved, but there's still work to be done. And so I'm involved in, um, in some uh, women in leadership initiatives. Uh, I talk to young women all the time about their careers. I try to encourage them, um, give them some advice about how to break into sports if that's their wish, how to advance in the business if they're already in it. Uh, and hopefully, you know, in the next 5 to 10 to 25 years, we'll see even more progress um, in this area. And so for, for your listener, I hope, uh, I hope that's good news to her. And I would sort of encourage her and others in, in uh, a like position to do what they can as well to keep that pipeline strong and get that next generation in a place where they can be successful. Yes. You know, I, I'd love to know your personal view. We, of course, talk on the show quite often about different types of women's initiatives, whether they are in business or in athletics or or any field. And, you know, I wonder sometimes how much of the onus is really on us and just our ability to have the confidence and and believe in our abilities and, and how much then is on organizations and kind of past policies that are in place. In order to make a difference. Yeah, Yeah, it's both. You you just said it so well. I mean, it's it's those two things. Um, I'll start with the organizations. They're the ones that are ultimately making the hiring decisions. So, you know, you need leadership at the top 
who are going to pull the trigger, so to speak, and and hire diverse um, employees and recognize the value that that employee population is going to bring to their businesses. Um, And so leadership definitely comes from the top. I mean, I look at the NBA when I was there. David Stern uh, saw the importance of that. He was out front uh, with many D&I efforts at that time. This is now 25, 30 years ago. And certainly starting the WNBA, which I was involved with for eight years at the beginning, was an expression of the importance of women to the sport of basketball. Um, So, yes, the organizations, the decision makers, they matter uh, a great deal. But I think, uh, you know, women um, have to make their own breaks as well. There is a you have to learn the ropes, you have to work hard, you have to be good at what you're doing, you have to put yourself in a position to get that call saying you've been hired or you've been promoted. Um, so it really takes two to tango, I'd say. Yeah. yeah um, I, and if those, you know, if those two things are happening, if the women are stepping up and the organizations are creating opportunities, I think that's where progress happens. Absolutely. You know, listen, I, I can't interview you and not um, get a little plug in for Villanova. Uh, I'm a Villanova graduate and graduated in 85 when we uh, first won the championship. And uh, during the breaks, you mentioned uh, some women's initiatives for the women's athletics there. And I'd love for you to talk about it? Well, uh, we, we couldn't be prouder to have Villanova as a member of the Big East. Um, the conference has been through, as you may know, a lot of change since we were founded 40 years ago by Dave Gabbett and others. And Villanova's been a, like a constant. Um, it's been so exciting for us to see um, their sports programs continue to do so well. Of course, the men's basketball team under Coach Wright has done an incredible job. Um, you know, winning national championships two out of the last four years. So that's been fun to witness, great for our league. And on the women's side, um, they, they have celeb- they're now celebrating 50 years of that women's athletics at Villanova. So um, there are, there's some, some programming that the university is putting together around that. Um, Mark Jackson, the AD, and Lynn Tai, the SWA there, Senior Women's Administrator, Women's Administrator, have put together um, some, some efforts to bring attention to women's athletics, to create some fundraising around that so that money can be put back into these programs for women that are so important, um, not only in giving them sports opportunities, but developing their leadership skills and getting them ready for life after their playing days are over. That, so right, yeah. um, it's, uh, you know, there, there's a lot happening there. And, uh, you know, I commend you um, on being part of such a great school. Oh, well, you know what? And it's nice to be close by so that we can continue to support by going to the games. It's it's one of the only things I enjoy about the fall and the winter, <laughs> football and basketball. Um, which, by the way, I wanted to ask you the you know um, the Big East Conference is not just basketball; it's multiple sports, but not football. Why is that? Well, we sponsor 22 sports. To your point, basketball is the um, kind of the lead sport, and this decision uh, was made um, about six or seven years ago when. The group of schools that I'm, that I'm representing now in the conference made the decision to break away from the old Big East and form their own um, a new athletics conference in the NCAA. They made the decision then that, that football was not going to be a sport sponsored by, by the conference. It kind of takes our, our league back to its roots in the late 70s when it started out as a basketball-centric 
um, organization. Okay. Um, it, it, it was just a philosophical decision um, that that basketball was going to come first. A few of our schools do play football, including Villanova. Yes. But we don't sponsor it as a conference. Okay. Stay with us as we go into the break uh, for Dr. Marianne Ritchie for your health watch and Terry and Maggie with your finance watch. I'm talking to Val Ackerman, uh, commissioner of the Big East Conference. Now, the women to watch. Health watch. For Health Watch, I'm Dr. Marianne Ritchie. The Center for Disease Control and Prevention, CDC, a U.S. agency that works to keep the general public healthy, safe, and secure by promoting health and prevention and offering tips to be prepared. Their website has great information about vaccines, outbreaks, and health information for travelers. Recently, I learned every year Americans eat more chicken than any other meat. It's nutritious, but raw chicken often carries bacteria like salmonella, campylobacter, and clostridium perfringens. If you eat undercooked chicken or consume beverages or food contaminated by raw chicken or its juices, you can get food poisoning. Steps to avoid food poisoning? Put your chicken in a plastic disposable bag before it touches other foods in your shopping cart or in the refrigerator at home. Wash your hands with soapy water for 20 seconds before and after handling chicken. Do not wash raw chicken. Juices can spread in the kitchen and contaminate other foods, utensils, and countertops. Use a separate cutting board for raw chicken. Wash cutting boards, utensils, plates, countertops with hot soapy water after preparing chicken and before preparing the next item. Use a thermometer to be sure your chicken is fully cooked. A safe internal temperature is about 165 degrees. And if you think your chicken is undercooked in a restaurant, send it back. Refrigerate or freeze leftover chicken within two hours or one hour if it's 90 degrees or hotter outside. Anyone can get food poisoning, but children under five, senior citizens, patients with weak immune systems, and pregnant women are more likely to develop serious symptoms. Call your doctor for a fever over 102, diarrhea more than three days, bloody stools, nonstop vomiting and can't keep liquids down, or signs of dehydration, dry mouth, making less urine, dizzy when standing. Divas, take care, and don't play chicken with your chicken. Introducing Pathways Consulting Group, a company that will align your IT needs with your business goals. Pathways is a full-service ServiceNow partner. What does that mean? It's simple. Pathways will collaborate and design, develop, and deploy solutions for your company today that will define tomorrow. Pathways will provide world-class enterprise service management solutions. Pathways Consulting Group. They listen. They care. They execute. Go to PathwaysCG.com. That's PathwaysCG.com. If you believe that family, charity, or money is deeply important for the greater good, Fortis Wealth invites you to a highly personalized financial discovery process to help you visualize your financial legacy. It's not for everyone, but if you're willing to invest the time and thought, they can offer advice and strategies to help you accomplish your dreams. Fortis Advisors is a wholly owned subsidiary of Fortis Wealth, an investment advisor registered with the Securities and Exchange Commission. Visit Fortis-Wealth.com today because tomorrow is waiting. The Women to Watch, Finance Watch. This is Terry. And this is Maggie. And we're from Fortis Wealth. Are you self-employed or own a small business? If so, do you know what retirement plans are available to you? The amount that you can commit to saving each year may determine which of the following options is best for you. 
First, a SEP IRA could work well if you have few or no employees. In 2019, you can contribute the lesser of $56,000 or up to 25% of compensation or net self-employment earnings. There is a $280,000 limit on compensation for the contribution calculation. But with a SEP IRA, contributions must be made for all employees equal as a percentage of pay to the ones you make for yourself. If you have no employees, consider a solo 401k. Combined contributions by you as the employee and the employer can be made up to $56,000 in 2019. There's also a Roth version. And a simple IRA works well for larger businesses with up to 100 employees. It's easy to set up and the accounts are owned by the employees who can contribute on their own behalf. The contribution limit for you and the employees is up to $13,000 in 2019, plus catch-up contribution of $3,000 if 50 or older. You may make an employer contribution for yourself also, depending on whether or not you match the employee's contributions. The defined benefit plan can work for a self-employed person with few or no employees, a high income, and the ability to save more for retirement. The contribution limits are higher than those of other plans depending on your age and income. They can work well if you are close to retirement and have younger employees as most of the contribution would be allocated on your behalf. However, they are relatively expensive to set up and maintain and they require annual contributions. The rules for each option are complicated and tax advantages can be lost if they are executed incorrectly. Please consult with your financial or tax advisor before setting up and funding any of these plans. This is Maggie. And this is Terry. Peace out. You're listening to Women to Watch with Sue Rocco. Sue Rocco on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. I'm speaking with Val uh, Ackerman, Commissioner of the Big East Conference this evening. And Val, I wanted to share a quote um, I had read that you said, hopefully over the next few decades, we will see more women in senior level positions in sports. And I guess my question is, do you think it's going to take that long? <laughs> you know, I don't know. I don't know when I said that. It sounds right. It sounds like something I might have said. Um and uh, yes, I hope not. I guess the answer is no. I hope yeah. it's much more quickly than that. But I've been around the business, to, sports business, that is to, to long enough to know that change sometimes moves um, in fits and starts. It sometimes seems like it's taking too long. And as I look around, um, you know, honestly, in, in my environment, there's still lots of meetings and settings I'm in where I'm I'm one of the only, if not only, woman in the room. So it it does seem like some days it's going to take a while, mm. but I you know but I but I'm an optimist. I, I, there's so many more women working in sports now than when I started. Um, the opportunities um, are there. I think the awareness levels of hiring managers in different organizations about the benefits of diverse employee bases um, is definitely improved. And so uh, women, I think, um, are going to be given opportunities that, uh, you know, a few years ago would have been not available to them. So uh, I'm optimistic, but again, it's just going to take, I think, more time Yes. the... the, uh, for the equity piece, if you will, to kind of really be fulfilled. Right. Um, listen, I'm really curious about what your day looks like. You know, what what are you doing every day as the commissioner of the Big East Conference? Uh, I have a, I have a great job. Every day is different. Um, we we do a mix of things for our schools. We do scheduling. 
Um, we uh, we manage referees, not always easy. Um, we handle uh, key partnerships. In our case, uh, the Big East has a national television agreement with Fox Sports. Uh, we have a, a great collaboration with Madison Square Garden, where we play our men's basketball tournament every March. Um, we have sponsors that we um, help, um, you know, activate their 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 relationships with our our conference around. Um, we handle compliance work, which is helping our schools understand um, if they if they need help. Many don't. Um, NCA rules and regulations. Um, so there's a whole host of things that we do that that I get involved in. Um, I'm, I'm on a couple of NCAA national committees. I do some outside board work. Uh, my days are often meetings and lots of email. Uh, email, email just keeps coming. <laughs> As you're, probably your listeners know who work in the business world, it's just amazing sometimes. The email spigot doesn't ever get turned off. No, it does not. So there's a lot of that, but it's yeah. uh, it's enjoyable work, and and the best part is when I go to sporting events. Um, and and see our student athletes that you know in play or can support our coaches uh, or our schools. That's that's really the best part of the job. Right. Um, I want to go back for a minute because um, I want to talk about you know your earlier years. Uh, you earned a BA in political and social thought, which I I wanted to ask you you know what your plan was at that time. Um, and you also have a law degree. Um, you're an attorney, and you got your law degree from University of California. So first, you know, when you went off to college um, and majored in political and social thought, what was your, your plan at that time? What were you looking to do? Well, it's, it's really what you mentioned. I really had a dream to go to law school, and okay. that was the ultimate goal. Uh, I didn't really know much about the profession. Uh, at that point, my, my dad was an educator. My mom worked for the state of New Jersey, so I didn't really have any lawyers in the family to look up to or learn from. But it just sounded interesting. I saw lawyers on television, and that, that seemed seemed to be something that sounded like fun. So I went <laughs> to college, and the degree that I chose, which was an interdisciplinary major at Virginia, it, it combined um, several majors in effect, into, and you could roll them up into one. It seemed like a good pre-law uh, degree. Um, and interestingly, I had to write a senior thesis, which was on the role of sports in American society. I kind of saw even then just how sports brings people together and becomes kind of part of the fabric of our, you know, of our of our culture. Um, and so I was sort of even then keying in on some of the bigger benefits of sports um, in in our world. Um, but but it was really the desire to go to law school. Um, that was sort of driving me at that point, and I was able to do that. I took a year off between college and law school, and I played uh, basketball on a women's semi-pro team in France, keeping right. my basketball career going a, yeah. a bit longer And before I went off to UCLA to go to law school and then kind of got into the business not long after that. Right. You were hired as a staff attorney for uh, for the NBA. Yes, did you exactly. pursue that, or did they come knocking on your door? No, I came knocking on theirs. Okay. Uh, I had been on Wall Street for a couple of years working at a big law firm, um, Simpson, Thatcher, and Bartlett. And, um, you know, the NBA was a dream job. And through contacts I made uh, at my firm, was able to kind of get on their radar screen. And then when I heard that a job was opening up there, I, I put in and they found out what they needed to find out about me. And um, that was a great day, 1988. I was hired as a staff lawyer by the NBA. Okay. Do, do you play today, you know, um, for fun? 
Yeah, not a lot. I mean, I shoot baskets a little bit. I haven't played in a long time, but I'm mostly just a, you know, workout person. (laughs) So, but I have very fond memories of my playing days and love to, you know, love to watch games, of course. And again, it's a sport that I've been associated with for so many years. I can't imagine it not being in my life. Right. And and you, I should mention, have two daughters. Do they play? Uh, they played as younger girls. My my daughter Emily is 27. My daughter Sally's 25. Our daughter, uh, they did play growing up, but they they didn't stick with it. But they, you know, they are sort of fans, um, and I'm I'm sure they get that from my husband and me. Great. We're going to take one last break. Stay with us for Mary Manzo for your Tech Watch. Um, I'm speaking with Val Ackerman, the commissioner for the Big East Conference. We'll be right back. Who is Holly Dowling? Holly is a dynamic keynote speaker and inspirational thought leader. You see what we have the ability to do and the power we have. You hold the power for good. Each and every one of us can do something. Holly has inspired millions around the world, including over 500,000 executives. And her show is listened to in 87 countries. Now we're going to spend 25 minutes on your areas of opportunity. Listen to our internationally acclaimed podcast, A Celebration of You, Holly Dowling, empowering those who can change the world. HollyDowling.com. Now, the women to watch. Tech Watch. Hi, I'm Mary Manso from Pathways Consulting Group. CIOs have great ideas, but if you can't get the IT talent, that's a growing problem, says Bob Miano, president and CEO of Harvey Nash USA. I read an article that suggested that recruitment issues will potentially harm IT modernization efforts. Recruiting more women into the technology industry can only help. But as I've discussed in the past, the participation of women in the technology industries declined in the past 20 years. It is the one STEM discipline where the participation of women has not increased. Did you know that a lack of women in technology can lead to a decrease in performance and profits, creating a missed opportunity for businesses? Greater gender diversity in technology impacts businesses' bottom line, as research from Morgan Stanley indicates. Ensuring that there's a good bounce of women leading and working in the workplace just makes for good business. A field experiment published in Management Science found that teams with an equal gender mix had better sales and profits than male-dominated teams. So why does gender diversity lead to better performance? It's called collective intelligence. In other words, when you add women to a group, the presence of women leads to a higher collective intelligence, which in turn strengthens the group's ability to solve problems, build solutions, and come up with ideas. Higher gender diversity teams not only enjoy better returns, but companies that adopt gender diversity could more likely outperform companies that don't. If we're going to increase the amount of women in the tech industry, we have to start considering how we change our approach. It will require strategies that appeal to the values and lifestyles of women. I'd love to share more of these thoughts with you and on this topic in the future. So email me at mary at pathwayscg.com with your ideas and input. Val, when you look at your kind of resume on paper, um, and it's incredibly impressive, all of the uh, the firsts for you and all of the accomplishments and numerous awards and accolades. I always like to know, you know, from an outsider, um, it looks like everything is wonderful and grand. Um, what's hard for you? You know, what is what is something that you have to work on uh, on a regular basis, whether it be professional within your career or personal? 
you know, Sue, you're, it's a very, it's a very insightful question because um, you're, you're right. I mean, behind successes are often great sacrifices. Mm. <laughs> and, yes. um, I've made more than a few. I mean, time spent away from family, particularly because sports is a, is a job where there's some flexibility maybe in terms of being in the office or not, but attending sporting events is, is part of the job. And they're generally on weekends. And so I've spent a lot of time in my career on the road. Um, when my daughters were younger, um, I, I was with the WNBA as the first president, and our season was in the summer. So when my kids were off from school, I'd, I'd be in my high season uh, traveling around, again, including on weekends. So I think um, that piece of, of, of our work, those of us who work in sports, is the most challenging and is often masked by the apparent glamour, you know, mm. of working in sports. Right, right. Because we travel a lot. It's just a lot of hard work, mm. um, tough hours. And so I, I think the challenge for me continues to be trying to find that balance, one. And two, just t- generally time management. Mm. Because, you know, emails pour in every day. There's meetings to attend. There's phone calls to make, places to be. And just learning how to just juggle and manage time and prioritize and meet deadlines and get to first things first and know when to you can sort of put this one off for a while is is a really it's a honed skill if that mm. makes any sense well, yes and, yes and and something i think every executive probably struggles with is probably not an unfair word you do struggle with it every single day mm-hmm. um and you know my great at it i've gotten better at it but I think that's probably the, the biggest thing that comes to mind. So how, you know, along with all of that, what you just kind of listed is, is the stress and anxiety. Mm-hmm. How, do you, how do you deal with that? Do you, you know, is there a mantra that you live by? Is there something that you do for yourself um, to kind of refresh and recharge? Yeah, I try to exercise as much as I can. I mean, I was a, as an athlete, as we discussed earlier, so that's core to me. You know, if I, if I don't work out, on some regular basis. I'm just not myself. So I try to find time to do that. It's very hard for me during the week. I live in Manhattan. My hours are tough. Um, we, we have in our apartment building, a you know, like a little gym I can run up to, or I belong to an exercise club down the block, and I can do that on a weekend. But I think that part's so important, trying to keep your body um, in, in shape so that it can support you know, we we lose sight sometimes of how important it is to line up our, our physical condition um, with our emotional state and with our intellectual um, state and, and our work lives. So I try to do that. I think getting sleep is really important. It's really hard when you're traveling sometimes to get enough sleep because of funny, you know, wake-up times or late-night flights or delays or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I, I just try to go with the flow if I have a bad travel experience. Um, you know, if a flight gets canceled and you got to sit in an airport for five hours, h- how to make the most of that, um, I, I think, is, is really important because sometimes life just isn't going to go as planned. And I think being able to roll with the curveballs life throws at you every day is an important part of, you know, making it in, in the modern world, especially in the business world. Right. Would you say you've gotten better at, as you've gotten older? In other words, when you were younger and, and still, you know, again, very driven, um, would you say with age that you've become more accepting of um, those moments where you really have to pivot that you're, you're not prepared for? 
I, I think I'm never um, ready for those. I mean, because I my my life is sometimes lived in like precise increments. And so if I if something throws me off, it throws not just me off, but other things. There could be a domino effect. But I will say, I think I've mellowed. Um, I get now that those things are going to happen and that sometimes there's things you just can't control um, in terms of, you know, upsetting of a schedule and so on. And so I just I, I think I've learned to, to just take deep breaths. And if I travel, I bring a book now. Mm-hmm. So if I do have that delay and I'm not otherwise trying to just get caught up on email, I have something else to do. Right. And I can make the most of um, make the most of my time if something happens that's not according to plan. Right. And that's better than, you know, I wanted to ask you what your feelings are about this 24 hour news cycle that we all live in. So, you know, a book in an airport can be a much better idea. Idea. Of course, you have to plug your, you have to put your earphones in, but mm-hmm. rather than watching what's on the television, you know, that 24-hour news cycle. Well, I think, uh, you know, one challenge, and this is another one, I think, in the modern age, is there's so much information coming at us all the time. Yes. I mean, I get multiple news feeds, curated news feeds into my inbox every morning, you know, whether it's on higher ed or the sports business or college sports. And just, I think, part of the responsibility of being a, a, a capable executive is trying to keep up with the news in your field. Um, and it just comes at you every single day. And that's a stress point, too, um, mm-hmm. because, uh, you know, you don't want to be coming to work and not knowing that some major development just happened and you weren't dialed into that. So it really requires you to stay very attentive, um, again, particularly to your field. And then on top of that, I think to be an informed citizen, you do need to keep up with the events of the day. I do my best on that whether it's reading a newspaper in the morning, we get the New York Times delivered to our house, I read the Post every day, you know, um, I get news feeds, um, and I try to follow because I just try to, I think it's important just as a as an American <laughs> to That's, keep up yeah. with what's going <laughs> right. on in our world, right. in our country. But again, it adds to the workload. It does, uh, Because, yes. you know, you can't read every news feed and you can't read the till the end every article. And so I think, again, back to my point about prioritizing, trying to manage your time, it really is very personal how you can make all that, all those pieces fit together. That's right. Listen, is there anything exciting that you can share with the listeners um, as we get towards the end of the show, just whether it's a team or a player in the the biggest conference that's on your radar, something we can be looking for or excited about? Yeah, well, I would. The, our big announcement this summer was for your for your listeners who who know the Big East history. Uh, we have announced that the University of Connecticut is going to be rejoining the Big East Conference next July. Uh, yes, they were a charter yes. member of the conference. There, um, uh, it's a very passionate rivalry that they have had historically with schools like Villanova and Georgetown and St. John's and Providence College, um, who are already in the Big East. Um, so we made this announcement a few months ago. Uh, Connecticut's very excited. They've had a great response from their base of supporters. And, you know, I think that's going to be very well anticipated, certainly within our league, probably nationally, the return of this uh, charter member of the conference to um, to the place where things started for them, for them. Yeah. So that's I would say that's our big headline. Again, it's a yes. year away. Right. But uh, we have a lot of work to do in the coming year to kind of get them reintegrated back in. But I think that'll be very exciting this time next year when they begin play as a, as our 11th Big East school. Yeah, that will be exciting. Well, I'm, I'm excited for you know everything to get rolling and and uh, you know we've got our tickets for Villanova and it's always an exciting time um, of year around here and I have to 
say, I think college versus pros, there's something, a whole different level of energy around uh, around those kinds of events. I agree. Yeah. I mean, I've worked on both sides, and I think there is something special about um, college sports, the way that alums support their schools, um, you know, the bands, the cheer yes, squads. I right. mean, there's something very unique about it. Yeah, the loyalty. Yeah, the yep. loyalty. Val, listen, thank you so, so much for joining me and sharing a bit about your, your journey and your story with us. I so appreciate it. Thanks, Sue. Great being with you. That's it, everyone, for another week of Women to Watch here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Thank you so, so much to my sponsors and advertisers for helping me to bring you the real story behind her title. Have a great week, everyone. This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.